This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. This is Season 7, and every week this season, we'll bring you fresh content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together like-minded organizations, and our main goal in everything we do, including this podcast, is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. We're featuring the Great Commandment Network today on our podcast, with content specifically designed for senior pastors. But before we get into that content, we wanted to make sure you knew about a free resource available at discipleship.org slash ebooks. It's called Evangelism or Discipleship. Subtitle is, Can They Effectively Work Together? It's by Bill Hull and Bobby Harrington, and it challenges the idea that evangelism and discipleship are separate. So check it out and download it for free at discipleship.org slash ebooks. Now for today's featured content. Today we're featuring an episode from Great Commandment Network and their track at the National Disciple Making Forum called Deconstructing Discipleship as We Know It. Today's episode is called The Acts 2 Journey, Mentoring Pastors and Churches in Taking Any Church to the Next Level, featuring Bobby Harrington and David Ferguson. Particularly on this particular session, we're going to focus a little bit on some of the statistics that have been shared about uh, plateaued and declining churches, whatever those numbers are, um, whether it's 70%, and then uh, Bobby's got figures about those 30% that may be growing, uh, only maybe 5%, I think I heard him say this morning, are doing so by real missional discipleship. The rest of them is transferred, all kinds of things. So. Uh, there is somewhat of a, a challenge out there today, and we'll talk a little bit about that uh, and in uh, some of the work we've been involved in for the last number of years, putting together what Bobby just alluded to about more of a relational approach to ministry um, and how it gets lived out in the life of the church. Uh, we'll end up trying, uh, before we're through, give you five ideas of how you can take your church to the next level. So we're going to give you five practical ideas about how that can happen. Uh, a little bit uh, on one of the slides we will use has to do with a little bit of who we are. We have two entities I alluded to in one of my previous sessions. We have a nonprofit thing called Great Commandment Network um, that is serving about 22 different denominations and then about 15 or 20 different parachurch ministries. First of all, in ministry care. Uh, so we are with ministry couples, uh, thousands of them a year in different parts of the world. And then we actually have another team that does crisis care. So we have a partnership with um, the Chick-fil-A Windshake Foundation. We do a lot of crisis care in Georgia uh, for folks that are in crisis. So we have a team that takes care of that. So we spend a lot of our work uh, and time with ministry leaders. My personal time is with denominational leaders in trying to sort through how we can support uh, the health of the church in America and then around the world. We'll be giving you some ideas of some things that we've been focusing on the last number of years. The other entity is called Relational Values Alliance. That is what we would call a tent-making entity where all of our staff have to make their living in the real world. And uh, we have to make a living, pay for overhead, pay for a building, uh, pay for all of our travel in two weeks of the month, and then we can give two weeks of the month of our time away. So that's a little bit of how we've been doing it. So all of our teams are very entrepreneurial. They all have responsibility for P&L, profit and loss sheets, um, and so uh, that's kind of the world we live in. And uh, we do a lot of our work in what's called the mountains of culture. Uh, so we have expressions in business and education, in government, 
uh, arts and entertainment, uh, and so forth. So that's a little bit in those two websites, George, will give you. We'll give you a little bit more <clears throat> uh, background on that, greatcommandment.net. And then uh, I think, George, the next slide will give them the relationalvalues.com. <clears throat> uh, so you have a little interest in kind of both <clears throat> the ministry side of what we do, uh, it's greatcommandment.net, and then this relationalvalues.com will tell you a little bit about how do you establish relational values at home. We coordinate the premarital education program for 31 county area in the state of Texas. How do you get relational values uh, into school? We have a lot of school initiatives, some secular universities using our leadership material, which is based on the leadership of Jesus. It just doesn't have Bible verses in it. Um, and then how do you live out relational values in business? We have a team called the Center for Relational Leadership, and they do business training uh, to try to make a living in their world. So that's a little bit of the background of who we are. But that allows us to try to make an impact uh, without worrying about an image. We don't raise money, don't send out appeal letters. If we're ever getting money, we are able to give it away 100% on the dollar because we've already covered our cost. So that's a little bit of how we do what we do. Uh, based on a passage, and we're pretty big on what Bible verse leads you to do that. You'll find uh, we need to be doing Bible verses. So Paul says, I did not want to be a burden to any of you, and therefore I labored day and night. Um, and our team says that we, we have them laboring day and night, they would claim, uh, in, order to, uh, in order to do ministry. So that's a little bit of who we are. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about, uh, George, the next slide. It's called Call to Love Through the Acts 2 Journey. It's a combination of a couple of things um, where in a few moments I'm going uh, to kind of comment on call to love has to do with six Bible verses. I'll mention those to you. That's the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. We think that ought to be the identity and the mission of the church. Who are we? We are great commissioned people empowered by Great Commandment love. That's who we are. And how do we do what we do? We do it through Acts 2, 42 through 47. Uh, we do it <clears throat> through fellowship, uh, through discipleship, through worship, through evangelism, through serving. And so we basically just said there's six Bible verses to tell you who you are, six Bible verses to tell you how to do it. And the first century world seemed to have turned the world upside down using that. Did y'all get that? Yeah. And we seem to be barely surviving. So how do you get back to the simplicity of loving God, loving others, seeing other people love God and loving others, and doing it the way the first century church did? So that's kind of a little bit of the background. Uh, <clears throat> some of the objectives, I'll run through these quickly. Uh, we have some objectives related to pastors, related to church, related to personal objectives and community. Next slide, George. Let's look at those. For the pastor, we have a number of strategies that we use. We're right now, we, we have cohorts going in about uh, nine cities in America where we're kind of taking churches through these kinds of things. We've got another probably 10, church, uh, 10 cities planned for next year. Uh, we have Galatians 6-6 retreats. These are two-day gifted retreats we do for couples, 14,000 couples over the last 30 years. We've been through those, 50 countries of the world. They're gifted retreats, pastor couple date nights. Uh, if it doesn't stretch you too much, uh, we actually have a Christian comedian that travels with us. And uh, so we actually do comedy nights uh, for pastor couples. 50 ways to bless your pastor. We've got some of that material over here of helping churches, particularly during Pastor Appreciation Month, bless their pastor. So we do a lot of that work with a number of other ministries. Pastor prayer teams. If you don't have a prayer team, you need a prayer team. There's information over here. All it takes, seven people. Give me somebody that will pray for me and my family on Monday. Give me somebody that will pray for us on Tuesday. Give me somebody that will pray for us on, th- on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday. You need a pastor prayer team. Okay, 
Uh, there's a lot of falling in ministry because we're not covered uh, in prayer. So we try to champion that uh, in certain ways. So there's first, uh, pastor. Uh, next, the next objectives have to do with church objectives. I mentioned we spend a lot of our times in the denominational world. Uh, we just had a, a gathering that included, it's real diverse, because we can make it diverse, because all we talk about is a great commandment, great commission. Again, we don't talk about apostolic authority or how many spiritual gifts there are or mid-trib or post-tribulation rapture theory. Okay, uh, So we just talk about can we love God, love others, see other people love God, love others. And so <clears throat> we bring those folks together and have for 20 years. Uh, we had one about a month ago where we had, uh, we had uh, Ronnie Floyd, the new Southern Baptist Executive Committee uh, president. We had the Assistant General Superintendent of Assembly of God the previous Church of God overseer, Church of God Prophecy overseer, African-American church leader networks. Just kind of bring those folks together. Well, about six years ago now, in one of those gatherings, uh, as we affirm, when we look back on pastor care, uh, there was these discussions about church care. How can we help take, take churches to the next level? And they identified four objectives. And you'll see how these fit with discipleship. Let me say this really quickly. We, we have been like... Uh, probably many others, kind of beating their head against the wall over many years about trying to get churches to focus on discipleship, okay? And I think one of the reasons that we beat our head against the wall is, let me just say this, y'all are probably not these pastors, so don't take this offensively. Uh, But a lot of pastors are self-interested. In other words, what are we going to get out of it as a church? And in many ways, discipleship is a solution (laughs) the solution to a problem they've not yet recognized. So one of the things that came out of the denominational leader meeting was say, could you put some things together that would help any church grow younger? You think churches could benefit from that? You look around those denominational conventions, every one of those denominational guys says, we have the grain of the denomination. Help us grow the church younger. Number two, we want to do a better job of passing on the faith to the next generation. Is anybody doing a great job of that? Absolutely no denomination in America is doing a great job of that. None. So they all said, help us do that. Number three, we need to look more like the neighborhood. Is it possible that the neighborhood has changed, but we have not? So we just uh, were working with one particular, uh, particular, ne- particular church, 95% white in a 55% white neighborhood. Okay, And now, 18 months later, uh, probably 35% of the, of the congregation is multi-ethnic. Okay. 63 churches, state of Alabama, uh, state of Kentucky. After two years, uh, based on the average age of their summer uh, camp meeting, average age has come down 12 years. Average age. Can you grow churches younger? Yeah, you can. You have to get out there and reach young people. Got to reach young marrieds. But you can grow a church younger. And then the fourth one was they identified we need to engage more of our people uh, missionally, outside the four walls, uh, sharing the good news of Jesus. So those are four kind of church objectives that I'm going to be talking about. It's kind of a little bit of how we do it. And then we have some community objective, personal objectives. This has to do with something I talked about in the last session of how can we personally uh, develop, again, solution to all those four is making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Okay, Because if you do that, you grow younger, you look more like your neighborhood, you pass on the faith in the next generation, and you're missionally engaged. So discipleship is the solution rather than the recognized problem. Okay? So I'd suggest for those of you that are trying to uh, champion things, sometimes pastors 
um, need the self-interested reason why, why discipleship is the solution. Will it help us grow younger? Will it help us pass on the face of the next generation? Can we get more missionally involved in the community? No pastor signs up to suck at being a pastor. <laughs> right? I mean, pastors are just too hard. You don't sign up there and say, man, I want to do the bad job of that. All right? So every pastor wants to be, wants to be blessed. Okay? So I think we've got to approach them like that. So we focus a lot on the community. How do you take this into the homes of the community? Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. For example, we've got churches now engaged in bridal shows uh, where they're the only people there that are giving away something free and they're giving away premarital education. Okay? So we got that going to a lot of different cities. Churches show up say, hey, let's be at the bridal show. Let's give premarital education away free. So let's engage the home. Let's engage the marketplace. What does it look like? Typically, business leaders are some most underserved people in a church. Your business people get on committees. They get asked to give money. But in terms of what are we, how are we empowering them to take the gospel into their businesses? How are we taking them, empowering them to take biblical principles in their business? They're very underserved. How do we do that at schools? Uh, again, we've got a lot of work going on in both, <clears throat> uh, both high schools, uh, middle schools, and universities that are focused on schools. Okay? We have uh, three schools right now in uh, Georgia, reaching about 7,000 students. It's all student-led, um, and it's called Whisper. And they're actually having relational conversations in the school. One example is they have them based on the relational needs that the Bible gives us. They're actually the one another's of Scripture. How do we take thought of one another? How do we encourage one another? How do we support one another? How do we comfort one another? How do we respect one another? So basically, we're just having conversations around five of the one another's Scripture. They just don't know they're the one another's of Scripture. All right? You can introduce them and bridge to Jesus later, but let's introduce them. So on the week for what's called taking thought of another person, or it's what we call attention, it's the Greek word for care, to take thought of, they, issued, they had these, uh, first school we did it in, 3,200 students. On Monday, they had the opportunity to walk through any of the doors, and they could take a little black marquee out, and they could wear a name tag. 3,000 of the 3,200 students wrote their name on a sticky name tag and wore it. The miracle was the principal reports at a school assembly on Thursday, four days later, 2,700 of them are still wearing their name tag. Now, what does that tell you? We hope it told you they didn't wear the same church shirt for four days. But what it told you was they're starving for somebody to know me. They're starving for somebody to know me. Okay? Because it's not good to be alone. When you're alone, bad things happen. So that's a little bit of what we're doing in schools. Uh, and then into the community, uh, all kinds of things in the community with homeless and uh, very different kinds of things in the community and so forth. So imagine a different world. That's the solution. If disciples of Jesus, we're making disciples, we're making disciples, we're making disciples. So part of this initiative is raising up trainers uh, who can do this in their cities and in their denominations and movements. Okay, So we're on a, we're on a track to do that right now. Um, I'm, I'm excited to say most of those trainers are in their 40s. Uh, they do not have as many decades on them as I do. And uh, so that's a really important uh, strategy that we've got going with several of these denominations is to raise up trainers who will take their own churches to the next level. They have a testimony that we've accomplished those four goals. Growing younger, looking at our neighborhood, passing on faith to the next generation, missionally engaging our people. And then... These are three words, very important. They end up becoming adequate, motivated, and empowered to mentor other pastors and churches in doing the same. 
Does that sound like discipleship? Just saying. Okay, so let's talk about a little bit about how we do that. How we do it is we change uh, the church culture, or what we call the church's operating system. We would argue that the church, you know, they, we sometimes use the word reboot. I don't even have a computer. Well beyond me, I got a bunch of millennials that take care of tech stuff. But they tell me to reboot is somehow to restore the original operating system. That you reboot this, is that right? They tell me that. The church's original operating system that turned the world upside down was, first of all, the Great Commission empowered by the Great Commandment. That's who they were, and that's what they did. (laughs) Those six Bible verses. So this will actually restore the fresh wine or message into a church. So that's a lot of what we've spent... 25 years working on is what is that relational message of seeing people the way God sees them, seeing God for who He really is, actually experiencing Bible verses. That's the original church identity. Or we would say that's the mission. Identity or mission. Why are we on the planet? He didn't have to leave us here. He could have translated us immediately when He saved us. Why did He leave us here? To fulfill the Great Commission empowered by a Great Commandment of Love. And then uh, where that leads us, next one, is some of how the early church did that was six more Bible verses. How did they do it? Six Bible verses that can restore the local church's unique methods. These are the wineskins. And those five are their worship. They were worshiping together. They were having fellowship together, discipling, serving, and evangelism. So if you're going to take any church to the next level, you have to look at it through the lens of how are we going to better fulfill the Great Commission, empowered by Great Commandment Love, and to take a look at those five functions. So we're, we, are, uh, we have been mentoring churches in really 12 Bible verses. Identity, mission, Great Commandment, Great Commission, and then the methods or how-to from Acts 2, 42 through 47. We'll give you some examples of that in a minute where we hope... If I've got time, I'm going to, I'll try to give you five ideas of how to, one idea for all five of those. That's where I'm going to try to hit it. Okay? Um, so the first place we start, next slide, first place we start is assessing current reality. So we do stuff with churches like you've seen done, which is the look at the church life cycle. It was alluded to earlier this morning about are we growing, are we plateaued, or are we declining and losing? Okay? So we do an assessment of current reality. And we do it through the lens, it's very popular out there today, of how do these four things, vision, relationships, programs, and management, fit in that life cycle. So the you know, church starts with a great vision. This is how you plan a church, great vision. Got a church planner over here, my friend. You start with a great vision that emphasizes great relationships. Got a bunch of people that are believing God with me for that. And we end up then beginning to put some programs in place. Somebody have to look out of those kids. All right. And then somebody starts having to do a little management stuff of how are we going to use this building. All right. And then as you begin to plateau, what begins to happen is this. You've you ever heard the expression vision leaks. You begin to lose fresh vision. Okay. And therefore, on the backside of this, programs begin to take over rather than vision. And it's not long, not long till management takes over. And you have the thickest thing you have around is a, is a uh, 
church manual on what to do with the lights and the chairs and a policy manual. Okay, So we do assessment church reality. We do that with, right now we're doing it in five uh, quarterly sessions. It takes about 12 to 15 months to walk through this journey. We typically bring the fri- pastors on Friday and they bring their lay leaders on Saturday. So we've been doing five of those. We've got some other things we're doing bivocational uh, because a lot of pastors can't get off on Friday. So we're doing some Saturday, Sunday afternoon things. Pretty creative, but we're trying to work through that. The next thing we do after assessing church current reality is we try to get people to think about a fresh vision. That's about where I'm about to go. And so we begin to think about <clears throat> if since vision leaks, you always need to be casting fresh vision. In the business world, we do a lot of business coaching. If you don't reinvent your business every three or four years, you're going to be obsolete. That applies to the church. You got to, we've got to be reinventing ourselves because the culture's not standing still. The neighborhood's not standing still. Okay? So what does that vision look like? So one of the ways we do that, you can do this real quickly. If you want to think about your church, five reasons people are at your church. The typical five reasons are these. Uh, they come because it's a, because of the place. This is the place I was married. This is the place I helped build. This is the place I bought those chandeliers. This is the place I paid for that carpet. This is the place I baptized those kids. It's a place. Memory. Okay, it's a good thing. These aren't bad things. Uh, where we're going to head though is this. Some of them because of the personality. They come because of personality of a speaker, a preacher, a worship leader, a youth leader. They come for the personality. Okay? They're drawn because of that person. Okay? That's a reality. Okay? Got a new youth person, very charismatic. We're attracted to youth. Personality. Not a bad thing. Thirdly, they come because of the programs. Okay? Man, this church has got an awesome kids program. You know, They come because of the programs. This, the women's ministry just out of sight. They come because of programs. Not a bad thing. Then they come because of the people. That means they come because some of their friends are there, right? You no, know, my friends are here. I come because that. So they come for that. And then lastly, some of them come because of the position they hold. Okay. Some of you may have some people that are holding positions in your church that you wish they weren't. Just say that. Uh, and the reason they're there is because the position they hold. Okay. So you just get pastors to think through that, and then you, what we call managing change, you begin to say, okay, oftentimes in the church, the challenge is, what if some of these things start changing? What if they start changing over here? What if the carpet needs, the color needs to change? Okay. Uh, what if that personality leaves? Uh, what if that program is archaic and obsolete, and we need to cut it? Uh, what happens if my friend goes to another church? This is change. It's inevitable, isn't it? Or what happens? Okay. Okay. Just saying. All right. So what we say to pastors is because these things are going to change, you need a sixth reason why people are there, and it's called vision. Okay. Because vision can trump all of those. <coughs> See, if I'm bought into the vision, then the carpet can change. The programs can change. My friends might leave if I'm bought into the vision. So one of the ways that after you've assessed current reality, you begin to look at that is to begin to establish a a fresh vision. So how we do that is a fresh vision for uh, fellowship 
discipleship, worship, serving, and evangelism. You've got to have a fresh vision around all five of those. So what that then leads you to is these, uh, these five quarterly sessions focus on how do we take our fellowship to the next level, how do we take our discipleship to the next level, how do we take our uh, serving, and then our worship, and then our evangelism. So part of how we then do that is to say, if we can begin to develop a fresh vision for those five, which means you have to assess where they are. Um, for example, if we just put those up there, and we have the, even the laity do a little assessment. Where, where would you say your, church, uh, your church's strengths are of those five? Where's your strengths? Of those five, which one you'd say? One of our church strengths is worship. Somebody else? Fellowship, okay. I think I'll take serving ministry. Okay, all right. We might we might have food banks. We got all kinds of things. The two that are usually lacking are discipleship and evangelism. Okay, if you just do the normal surveys, you know our church got a real strong worship. Our church got a real strong serving. Our church got a <clears throat> you know real strong fellowship. Okay, the two that are usually lagging in many churches are discipleship and evangelism. Okay. So we get people thinking about that. So they're thinking in all five of those functions of the church. And then what we're about to do is we're able to develop a fresh vision so we go from where they are <clears throat> uh, and build a bridge to where God wants them to be. And you do that by, again, to develop this fresh vision for all five of those. So that's a little bit of how that works. Let me then kind of walk through with you. You kind of following this, I hope, so far? Now I'm going to kind of get practical as to how you might do this, and it'll give you some ideas of what you could actually do in your church. Okay, that's kind of theory, how we do it. Let's talk about how we do it. So the next slide will be, let's talk about taking fellowship or connecting, that's what it's sometimes called, to the next level. And uh, how do we take fellowship to the next level? So let's work on that for a moment. What we're going to do, we did this last session, I'll, I'll change it up a little bit, but one of the things we learned to do Next slide is we learn to share celebrations and concerns. And it's one Bible verse, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. What we're going to try to do in our fellowship is we're taking relationships to a deeper level. And here, let me give you the, I think we might have had this Bible verse somewhere, I forgot. But... Here's why this is so important. If you want to take fellowship to the next level, a Bible verse that we sometimes will use, let me, let me mention, all these PowerPoints are on greatcommitment.net slash discipleship, uh, what's it called? Making form, DMF. Okay? So we'll give you that slide at the end so you can download all, everything I'm doing. All right? So it's on there. But take notes if you want to. But the verse, important verse is Mark 3.14, where Jesus says he's prayed all night, <clears throat> and he called... Is that on one of those slides? There we go. You found it. Thank you. I didn't remember if they put it on there. He appointed 12 so that they would be with him and he could send them out. Now, we put those two things in red letters for a purpose. The first, most scholars would argue the first 12 months, maybe 18 months of the ministry of Jesus was just being with the disciples. It's not until Matthew 10 they get sent out to do anything. Now watch this, this is very important. So what was he doing those first 12, 18 months? 
He was just being with them. Watch. Hey, Peter, what do you do here? Oh, I'm just with him. Now, come on, Peter, what do you really do? What do you really do? Watch. Well, sometimes we get to pass out bread. Just study the text. That's what they got to do. Well, Peter, what else do you get to do? Well, y'all know this from the text? After everybody leaves, we get to pick it up. Now, what's he intentionally doing? He's intentionally challenging them to be servants, to minister. That's what he's doing. But he's also being with them so that he understands their joys and their hurts. How is it that one of his first miracles was healing Peter's mother-in-law? How'd that happen? Did he have some manual that says, now before you leave here, you better be sure to heal a mother-in-law? Or are they just hanging out together, what we call doing life together? And Peter shows up one day and he says, Peter, you're looking a little down. Yeah, my mother's about to die, mother-in-law. Let's go heal a mother-in-law. Are you with me? See, he was being with these people. Now, here's one of the critical issues. If we want to be a part of multiplying missional sending movements, people will not be sent any deeper than you have been with them. This won't work. So the power of kononia, taking your fellowship to the next level, it's three Hebrew words. You've got to know them. The word yada. He knew you in your, in, in your mother's womb. You've got to let them know you. The Hebrew word for God is intimate with the upright, Proverbs 3.32. You've got to start being vulnerable with your people. You've got to show, start showing up in the pulpit and having what we call Colossians 3.16 moments. Let the word of Christ dig deeply into you. And then you teach and admonish others. How much pulpit stuff do we have showing up where people are teaching and admonishing others, but I never let them know what God has done in me? It's never going to work for the next generations. Trust me. See, many of us were trained like I was. A good shepherd knows the sheep, but don't you let those sheep know you. You let them know you, they won't think you're a leader. Or they'll think you're human. Duh. They already know this stuff, folks. They're just listening for whatnot. We're going to be genuine. So fellowship is critical. And one of the ways you get there is one simple Bible verse. Train people in to learn to rejoice with those who rejoice and then mourn with those who mourn. Call it whatever you want, sharing celebrations and concerns. So I want to do this in another little, uh, different way than we did last time. I want you to think in just a moment of about a, a recent blessing in your personal life or in ministry. A recent blessing. God did something that has blessed you personally. Just had some great time with uh, several of my grandkids uh, for some fun time away during their winter break. It was a great time to be able to kind of get to know one another on a fresh level. That was a personal blessing. Ministry blessing, uh, just got a chance to re-engage one of our missionary friends in Spain. My wife and I were over there. And so a personal 
or ministry blessing. I want you to share that with one other person. And then I want that person to celebrate with you. Man, that sounds awesome. I'm glad you got to be a chance, uh, chance to be with your grandkids. How many of them were there? You got boys or girls? Talk to me about it, okay? Get to know me. Be with me, right? And then you share a blessing, personal life or ministry, and your partner celebrates with you, okay? Again, I like to say celebration is, man, I'm excited you got to do that. Sounded like fun. It's a, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled that God was able to provide that for you. Whatever it is, I want you to celebrate together. You ready? You got this kind of? Uh, you're about to stand up. I want to share that with one other person. A recent blessing personally or in my ministry, and let's celebrate together. So I have to make some noise. You can high five if you want to. <clears throat> you, you can chest bump if you want to. What do you got, brother? Me and my wife, um, we went to the Bahamas for a family uh, family wedding. My wife's niece got oh, married. Amen. So it was an opportunity for us to, to get away with and uh, celebrate and be with family. And uh, get some much-needed time, time together. Just for y'all. Yeah. Oh, great. Down by the Atlantic, seeing the sunrise. Yeah. Take a little bath, pray, connect with God, and just a little, little encouraging time with family. Amen. Now, do you have kids? Got three boys. So, you were away from them. Is that yeah, what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's part of what I'm hearing. That's it, yeah. So my, that's mom, great. my mom took care of them while we were there. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, that's so great. That was a huge blessing. That is a huge yeah. blessing. Yeah. I celebrate with you about that. Thank you. It's great. Hope you have more of them. Yes. We yes. need that. Great thing. Awesome. Well, again, I had a great time with my some of my grandkids. We have salmon grandkids, and I got a chance to uh, be away with uh, four of those at Galveston uh, Island for a while and do the whole beach thing and the swimming thing and got a cabana so they could watch some football games when they weren't in the pool. And so it was good. And I uh, really enjoyed that. Do you see them often? or? Yes, they actually live in town, but we're kind of, su- you know, we, you know, they've got, probably like your kids, they got sports all the time. You know, they got stuff going on. They got band, they got yeah. whatever. So this is one of those times where you're kind of away. They're not in their hectic kid world. Right. You know, so it's, and, and of course, my wife and I got out of our ministry world. Yeah. Because um, I'm not really a beach person, but. Man, if that's where we need to go to be with the grandkids, I'm all up for it. So nice, it was a great time. Nice. That's encouraging to, to know that you still have that time and the ability to to connect with them. Amen. And they can build those memories with Grandpa and Grandma. Yeah. And yeah. That's been a discipline. How old are your kids? Uh, uh, 13, 12, and 8. Okay. A fun thing my wife and I did, I'll just throw it out to you as you because you mentioned that is we got to where, years ago we decided we're going to always have some positive, fun thing as a, as a couple or as a family to look forward to. Yeah. So we actually started planning those. So we, hey, we're going to, you know, three months from now, we're going to do this as a family or yeah. with grandkids. Or three months from now, you, my wife and I are going to do this together. Yeah. Our Spain trip was just for she and I. Oh, okay. um, uh, we've got we've actually got a trip to Bahamas in January that'll be for my daughter, son-in-law, and two of my grandkids. Yeah. You know, we're going to take them to to Paradise Island. So, yeah, plan those times because I tell you, part of the joy is not just experiencing them like you did on the Atlantic and all that, but uh, the second part of the joy is the anticipation of looking forward to it. Yeah. So it's you're always kind of, man, I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to that. So plan those times. Family members. Amen. Bless you, brother. You. Good to be with you. All right. After you both shared, you can have a seat. But be sure both of you share. Uh, let's talk about how you put that kind of thing into practice. 
Uh, first of all, we love to say that's a great thing to do on, on uh, Sunday morning. You need to have some of that. I'd talk to my worship leader and say, hey, just let's still keep going from song to praise song to praise song. Let's just go from this one to, hey, why don't we just rejoice with those who rejoice right now, okay? And just bring that in. The next way to use this is we talk about celebrations and concerns. We just say, why not include 10 or 15 minutes in any group gathering you have with your staff, with your leadership, with your deacons, elders, whatever you got, Rather than immediately jump into the agenda, why don't we have, hey, let's take 10 or 15 minutes to just each of us share a personal celebration or a concern, okay? And we're either going to celebrate with one another or we're going to give care. Because if we don't, basically, we know that life is on us all the time. Now, here's why this is important. Because on any level, folks, you and I know that people walk around saying, do you only care about what I do for the Lord? Or do you care about me? Well, that 10 or 15 minutes is great, great investment in fellowship. Another practical way that you can do that, uh, uh, when George gets back, I'll put it on the slide, but I'll tell you this. A great thing to do is to train. How many of you have... Uh, how many of you have, have ushers, hospitality people, greeters? Anybody got any of those? Man, I would train them with Romans 12, 15. Train them in how to celebrate with people and how to give care. Train them in how to celebrate and give care. So give me a couple more PowerPoints there, George. Yeah. Celebrate and give care. Now, here's why that means, okay? And I'll give you an example. Uh, no, back up one. All you have to do, train your greeters, hospitality leaders to ask people uh, this one question. Here we are on Sunday, met them on the parking lot, lobby. Hey, what'd you do this weekend? And then they're trained to listen for something to celebrate or listen for something to give care about. I promise you, train your people and you'll find they're not good at it. They are not good. Suppose someone says, I went to my son's all-star baseball game. You just say, hey, don't say it out loud. I want you to write down what your next sentence is. Don't say it out loud. It'll embarrass them. I went to my son's all-star baseball game. Write down what your next sentence. What do you think some of the most common sentences are going to be? Come on. Did he win? Did he win? How'd it go? How'd it go? What position did he play? How's their record? Is he good? Is he good? <laughs> Watch. All those are rational. They're heady. They don't touch the heart. They don't touch the heart. Why not train them to say, you must be proud of your son? Because it don't matter who won, does it? It don't matter what position he plays. Man, you must be proud of your son. See, that's a heart response. Okay, just think about it. How many, of your, how many of your greeters, usher, would know how to do that? Train them. One simple verse, rejoice with those joys. What if they say, I went to visit my, mer- my uh, mother in the nursing home? Okay, don't say it out loud. Write it down. What's your next, what's your next sentence? And you'll find it's filled with rationality. Go on. You're laughing. What, what are they going to say? What's, uh, what's wrong? What's wrong with them? Yeah. yeah. Did she die? Did she die? <laughs> How long she got? Yeah. yeah. Which one's she in? <laughs> How, about, How about that must really be tough? On you and her and your family. Celebrating, sharing concerns. You got it? 
One fellowship idea. Okay. Next. Discipleship to the next level. If we're going to take discipleship to the next level, one of the things that will help us there is what we call frequent experiences uh, with Jesus. And so let's look at this one really quick. See, discipleship has got to be more than heady. It's got to be what we call walking in the light so that darkness does not overtake you. I mentioned this verse before, but this is very important. This is what we're convinced. This, is a, this gives you a relational theology for spiritual formation. Relational discipleship and relational formation is about walking in the light of Jesus, the Word, and His people, fellowship. And so a part of the way you do that is you need to have fresh, frequent encounters with Jesus and His Word. So let's look at this as an example. Next slide. So let's suppose, has anybody ever taught, preached on the fruit of the Spirit? Please say yes. yes. I'd put that on the screen. And watch, I'm going to do something on that screen. We don't have time for you to do it, but I challenge you. I want to say, hey, why don't we take just a few moments to pray young Samuel's prayer. We're going to create some space here in the service today for you to listen to and hear God. And we're going to simply ask God, God, of those nine facets of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is there one of those that I need to become more of? I'm talking about it on Sunday morning. Is there one of those? And, and you actually take 30 seconds. Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. Do I need to become more gentle, more patient, more kind? Now, I like to laughingly say, if people will pause and ask the Lord that question, can you imagine the Lord is not going to look down and say, man, it's all good. Huh. He ain't going to do that, right? If it ever gets all good, he does what I call the Enoch number on you. Remember old Enoch? He got so close to God, God took him, right? So the fact that you're still here, and I'm still here, just tells me there's stuff to be done, yeah? And then, here's two things. One, after they've done that, What's the next slide, George? I don't even remember how deeply I went on this one. <laughs> okay, then you could actually ask them to pray silently that God would change them. You say, now that you've heard God, I want you to ask for God to make you more gentle, more kind, more patient, more long-suffering. Ask God to change you. Now, in our world, we call that the Spirit-empowered discipleship outcome of yielding to the Spirit's fullness as life brings supernatural intimacy with the Lord, manifestation of Him, and witness of the fruit of the Spirit. If you get real bold, most churches are not ready for this yet, but during our 12 to 15 months journey, after about four or five months, you can have them do that. I want you to listen to the Lord. As I'm saying, does anybody have one of those come to your mind? I mean, patience come to my mind and heart real quick. Does anybody have one of those that jumps out at you? Okay. A few months in, I'd say, after you've listened to the Lord, why not, why not stand and pray with another brother or sister about what God may want to do? Now I'm engaging fellowship. I'm actually praying with one or two other people, right in church. The premise is our people need to hear more from God and probably less from us. You might think about that. You may not agree with that. But it's possible that they may need to hear from more from him and less from us. So that's where you can go. That's taking discipleship to the next level. You can do that in a small group. Man, I wouldn't keep having all these heady small groups that fill in blanks and they walk away with knowledge that puffs up. 
Okay? I'd be challenging people of, we're, we're going to do Bible verses. What Bible verse did you do in small group? What Bible verse did you do in worship? Okay? Did you do one? Right in the room. Okay? <laughs> That's part of what takes discipleship. Next, uh, personal and corporate worship to the next level. How many of you have worship services? Anybody have worship service? Okay. I would say, based on the first century model, that our worship services today are, in many churches, incomplete. And I'll tell you why. Uh, next slide. Acts 13.2, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Well, most of the time we're not fasting on Sunday mornings, trust me. We can't wait to get to non-fast. Uh, they were ministering to the Lord. Some translates worship. They were worshiping the Lord. But watch. Here's what else they were doing. The Holy Spirit said in them, set apart from me, barns and soul, to work what I've called them. You know what else they were doing? They were listening to the Lord. Do you see that in the text? Please say yes. Yes. We've got to create space on Sunday morning for people to hear God. That's what I was doing with my question, which of these nine fasts the Holy Spirit might the Lord want to do? I would encourage you, I'd work with your worship leader to where, man, not, let's just don't go from worship song to worship song to worship song. Somewhere in there, either you or I, let's lead these people to listen to God about something. Let's listen. And then they not only listened, they yielded or did what God told them to do. You see it right there? That they ended up putting their hands on Saul and Barmas. Right? Here's an example of how you do that. Uh, so, for example, here's an example. Let's suppose we're, we, we're into our worship service, we've been loving the Lord, and then we end up saying, you know, not only are we supposed to be loving the Lord, we're supposed to be loving other people as we have been loved by Him. Now, what we want to do is not only for, the, for us to love the Lord, but He wants to love us, love people around us. So in a moment, we're going to ask the young Samuel's prayer, Lord, who, listen to me, who in the traffic patterns of my life might you want me to better love? Family member, friend, a neighbor, somebody in the workplace, somebody in the community, who might you want me to better love? And you just pause and you have people listen about that. And while they're listening, here's why I'd, I'd set it up for an invitation. I don't know if any of you give invitations, <laughs> but if you do, you know, I'd say, hey, I want you to listen, Lord, who's God wants you to better love? And then remind them that my sheep hear my voice. And it may be that today you're not able to hear him because you're not yet his sheep. You hear what I just did? I'm setting them up for, if you don't know him, you need to know him. But I'm also saying, who is it? And then what do we do? Next slide. So after the Lord has spoken to you, we're going to yield to the Spirit's direction, just like the saints at Ephesus did. And we're going to, we've been doing this at the end of a service. Pastor says, hey, you remember that person that God spoke to you about before you leave here today, before you rush out of here to Kentucky Fried Chicken? Why don't you pull out that cell phone now that I've told you to put away? And why don't you text that person? Just say, I was just reminded about how much I appreciate you, how much I want to encourage you. How much I want to care for you, what you're going through with your mother. What if our saints were startling people with love based on what they heard God tell them to do? 
Y'all following this? All we've done is taking our worship to the next level. It's actually what we've done is three spirit-empowered faith outcomes. We've practiced thanksgiving. We've worshiped the Lord. We've listened to and heard God, and we've practiced the presence of the Lord, yielding the Spirit's work, which is exactly what the saints did at Ephesus. Taking our worship to the next level, including moments of listening and moments of... You remember, it's actually doing, right? You remember that first miracle? Whatever He told you to do, do it. Remember the magnifiant of Mary? Be it done unto me, according to thy word. So we're leading our people to hear God, to, to worship, to listen, and to then do it right in church. Because if they can learn to listen and do it at church, they can learn, that's what we say, taking your corporate and personal, they'll, they'll learn to listen during their personal devotional time. You know, personal devotion time, I got a good friend uh, who says, you know, a conversation is not a conversation if only one person's talking. In a lot of people's devotional time, there's only one person talking, and that's me. So we've got to create space to hear God. All right, taking, uh, serving to the next level. And we'll finish up here in just a few moments. Taking your serving or ministry to the next level. Well, that in the next slide, we'll talk about <clears throat> one way to do that is to begin to serve or minister to those nearest you. So we're about to get people to think about who are the traffic patterns of your life. Might you want to better encourage children are gifts from the Lord, friends. And the word serving, it's three Greek words for it, but it's all about giving. It's all about startling people with love. And so we were recently with a group of pastors. I encouraged them to think about that in their own personal lives, with their spouse, with their children, with a friend. And then I went to the next slide, George. And I said to, two, said, said to those pastors with that on your mind, I want to ask you this question. I want you to pause and I want you to think about recounting an important character quality of one of these people that has enriched your life. Maybe this person is very compassionate. Very, maybe they make you laugh, just their humor. Maybe they're, they're a very generous person. Maybe, maybe a very accepting person. This is engaging fellowship. This is engaging kononia. Okay? And then I got those pastors to share that with one another. And they, some of them were affirming kids and friend, pastor friends, spouses. And then, I say to, and then I said to them, text them. Don't go out of here thinking you're grateful. Let's do it. So what we're doing, we're just trying to take our, minute, our serving. The word is, again, having to do with giving first to people. And we start with those nearest us. Lastly is evangelism. I particularly want to take the last closing minutes on evangelism because this is the one that is typically the weakest in most churches of these five. I'm going to give you two practical things about evangelism. Uh, Let's see, one, uh, next slide. This is a great little strategy. How many of you in your churches have people who are involved in business, education, teachers, principals? You have some maybe involved in government, okay? First responders. How about the healthcare 
world of nurses and doctors or whatever. You got those people? All this says to do is, hey, why don't you consider an every other month or so commissioning service for a group of those people? Man, I'd bring my business people up there and I would pray over them and commission them. Or have them stand and people pray over them. Two months from now, I'd have all my educators stand. Let's pray over them. We're communicating the message to them that you're on mission. That God has planted you in the seven mountains of culture. All right? So that we began to say to them, he's wanting to engage you in the ministry of reconciliation. So if you don't have that kind of plan going into 2020, I'd make that a plan. Okay? So you can begin to communicate to them, we got to break down this secular, sacred divide that they hire people to do the ministry. No. We're needing to all be equipped for the works of ministry. Got that? Real easy. Here's the, here's the last one I'll give you. And that is, I want to go back to something. Next slide, George. Uh, some of you haven't. Uh, let's see. Yeah, we got... Let, let, let's watch this real video. I didn't remember. I didn't remember being in here. These are some of the denominational leaders we're together. This is the North American Mission Board uh, pastor, care pastor, assistant general superintendent, assemblies of God, the Church of God overseer, etc. We did a little video series that we use in our church uh, revitalization work. Six session videos between all these five sessions. This is just one little clip, but I want you to listen to what uh, this is. Alton Garrison with uh, Assemblies of God. The first part of his line was, this is a, a survey of 15,000 evangelicals. 80% of them said that the primary purpose of church uh, is for basically my personal uh, good and benefit. Okay, So I just want to use that as something, and I want to give you a little model of how you move to more missional engagement. Some of you have seen, uh, George, this next uh, slide, uh, where we talk about four stages of developing discipleship. If you haven't seen it, it doesn't matter. Uh, what I want to show you is this. We get pastors, you could do this yourself, to say of 100% of my people, it doesn't matter if you've got 40 people or thousands of people, we, we ask them to give me four numbers. How many of those, what percentage of those people sitting in front of you are still in the mission field? They're seekers. What percent of your people sitting in front of you are seekers? What's the, what's the typical number in most churches? Zero. Much less than 10. Would you agree? These are seekers. These are non-believers. They're just showing up, hoping for Jesus or something. Secondly, how many are members of the body of Christ, but they fall into the category that was just talked about? Strong word. You probably don't tell your church this. They're typically called consumers. They're here for themselves. They may be here to be close to God. They may be here because they like the children's program. <laughs> they may be here because they like the teaching, but they're here for who? Themselves. Then you typically have a few of your people that are what we call ministry engaged. Those people said, you know, it's not just about me. I can help with a small group. I could go help in kids' ministry. I could help out with the youth. This is where you start getting into the 80-20 rule. Right? Are you with me? Okay, And then fourthly, how many people do you really have what we call missionally engaged? You'll know that one, one simple question. How many of your, what percent of your people consistently invite their friends to your church? That'll help you get to that one. Missionally engaged. 
It's them who are reaching people. Okay. And that number is usually what? Pretty small. Is that right? Yeah. One of the keys to church revitalization, taking your church to the next level, doesn't matter how healthy it is, is you got to change these numbers. And you got to get more of your people ministry engaged and missionally engaged. Now, here's the mistake we make, and I'll quit. We come up with great strategies about how we get missional. So let's suppose we take a look at our mission field, and we've got a bunch of single parents out there around our church. Or we've got a bunch of multi-ethnic, multilingual, uh, English as second language people out there. Uh, we, we've got a bunch of uh, folks that are grieving, and we need a grief recovery. So we come up with these eight or ten ideas of we could reach the people missionally in our church. And if we're not careful, the staff and the leadership will say, man, we're going to come up with this great, let's use single-parent ministry. We're going to go out there, and we're going to change oil in their cars on a couple of Saturdays, and we're going to, you know, we're going to cut hair, and we're going to paint toenails, and we're going to do all kinds of things. And we go out there, and if they make a transition into our church, they start right here in the mission field. And we've never moved the needle on our own congregation for ministry and missional living. So what we get pastors to do is say, okay, identify six or eight or ten of these missional fields around your church. Bring those to your congregation. It's a great time to use PowerPoint. I'm not much of a PowerPoint man. That'd be a great time to use PowerPoint. Man, we got single parents out there. We, you know, we got English single language people out there. We got millennials out there. We got all access to data. We got all kinds of cohabitating people around us. We got all, I mean, we, here's the data. And then you say to your congregation, here's what you're about to do. You say, okay, if we think about a Single parent ministry. How many of you know a single parent? How many of you know a single parent? You want, you want to get their hands up. Now, church, if we do a single parent ministry in 2020, will you show up and bring a single parent that you know? We're not just going to go out here and reach single parents. I'm saying this in somewhat of an intimidating way. <laughs> You want to share it in love. Mm -hmm. But we want to only do ministry in order to help equip you for works of ministry. Man, if we get out there and we start working with pre-marriage in our our community, offering them premarital education, okay? How many of you know a couple that could benefit from marriage enrichment? Anybody know a couple that could marriage enrichment? All right, if we have one of these Saturday workshops, we want to encourage you to come and you bring your friend. And now when they come, all right, we have both a mixture of the community and we've got a mixture of our, a mixture of our people becoming more ministry missional minded. Y'all follow that? Yes, sir. Critical. Because when we skip over that step, we start getting out there missionally and we're doing all kinds of serving into the community and we can do food banks and we can do all kinds of stuff. But if we're not moving the needle over here in these two, you what? Listen to this sentence, and I'll close. Get out of here. You will forever keep your church immature, and you'll continue a flow. If you're reaching people, of people who are immature and they're babes, and we're not moving the needle of moving people out of being consumers to thinking beyond themselves, ministry-wise, to living missionally. So we just finished around. I will do it in Atlanta tomorrow. Tulsa on Saturday where basically the pastor takes these eight or ten mission fields, puts them on a PowerPoint, and says, I want you all to pray about which ones God may burden on your heart to show up and bring your friends 
And next Sunday, we're going to do a little text survey. And we're going to do the top four of those next year that y'all say we ought to do. So that when those top four show up, they're the ones who've said, I want to be involved in that missional living. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the blessing that you are to us. Continue to lead us in in, uh, the ways that you have for us in living out this call to Great Commission living. We are blessed by that. Thank you for these pastors and play your blessing upon them. You're anointed for everything they do. Keep them uh, faithful to you, protected, and encouraged in the work that you have called them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless y'all. Good to be with you. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. Make sure to check out that ebook we mentioned at the beginning of this episode. When you go to discipleship.org slash ebooks, search for evangelism and discipleship. Until next time, may the Lord bless you as you seek to follow Jesus into the Great Commission without neglecting the Great Commandment.